We're, uh, we're continuing on in this Easter season with our series that we're calling Impact, Faith That Matters, and we're looking at passages in particular from the book of Acts, and uh, we've been having a good time with this. We're thinking about in particular, it's, it's hard to concentrate when you got cute little Kirkmeyer girls running down the middle of the row. <clears throat> Story of your life, Absolutely. Uh, we've been thinking about the impact of, of Easter, the impact of the resurrection, and in particular in the book of Acts, the impact of the resurrection on those early believers. They had been, they had been gripped by the story of Jesus being raised from the dead, this one that they had known, many of them, and seen be crucified, now to be raised from the dead. And and they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit, a reality that we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks on Pentecost Sunday. And they were, they were being sent out. And not only had the resurrection impacted them then, but they were in turn impacting the world. And their faith, their Easter faith, was a faith that was mattering. It was making a difference. And we've seen and we've looked about how the, the, the gospel, the, the church of Jesus Christ was going viral in, in the world in those days. And we've been thinking if, if it's a possibility that we might have a faith today that matters like theirs did then. That if we might be so gripped, we might be so impacted by the Easter story that we might begin to, to be sent out and to impact the world. Agents of the king in the world in which we live. And so we've been looking at these wonderful stories, and we come to another one today in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we're going to read verses 9 to 15. By the way, the Bibles have been ordered, for those of you who are here last week. They should be in the pews by next Sunday. <clears throat> Just the faithfulness of God's people. After I mentioned that, a couple of folks came up to me right after the service and said, I got half, or, you know, I'll, I'm on that, whatever you need. And so NLT Bibles have been ordered. They'll be in your pews next Sunday. Bring your own if you want, but there'll be a hard cover for you to, to use. For today, it's on the screen. Let's stand together, can we? Let me read this, uh, this great passage of Scripture, verses uh, 9 through 15 of chapter 16 in the book of Acts. That night, Paul had a vision a man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis, home of Neapolitan ice cream. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't, I don't know. I've been thinking about Neapolitan ice cream all week long. Every time I read that, I just had to say it. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, 
a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Never have I learned more about going with the flow than when I've been on mission trips around the world. In fact, one of my friends has created a, some of you, I've told you this before, but one of my friends has created a Ten Commandments of mission trips, and the number one command is, thou shalt go with the flow. And no doubt those who went to Ensenada recently learned this, uh, this truth. Something about being in different countries, amidst different cultures, different languages, there's Something is always lost in translation, whether that's, you know, words or um, plans or whatever it might be. And all this adds up to, to, to make it such that things usually don't go according to plan. In fact, sometimes things don't go, like, even nearly like what the plan was supposed to be. And you just have to go with the flow. Um, add to this that you're a part of a team, usually. If you're on a mission trip, you're hanging out with a bunch of, a bunch of people, which is you know, various personalities and perspectives on the world that can somewhat be uh, an opportunity for growth. And uh, that's a good way of saying that, right? Um, Not to mention that if you go on a mission trip, often you're working with church people in the other other parts of the world. And we all know how church people can be. They just kind of go with the flow a lot of times anyway. And so you can just kind of get caught up into this, and it does really make for a perfect environment to practice your adaptability and adjustment skills. I remember one time I was on a mission trip when I was in high school. We were going to Costa Rica, and we were on the flight down there, uh, and we were flying from Northern California to San Jose, Costa Rica. There had been more turbulence on the plane than anybody was really you know, comfortable with, and, and you could look out the windows, and you could see the lightning not really off in the distance that far. It didn't help that we were flying on an airline known as SASA, S-A-H-S-A. And I remember that vividly because the leader of our group said, yeah, it stands for stay at home, stay alive. <laughs> Not the thing to say if you're the leader of a trip. Uh, but we were scheduled on our way to Costa Rica to stop in Tegucigalpa, Honduras that night, a scheduled stop, and so the plane landed, it was dark outside, and the, the flight attendant, the pilot had been making announcements over the intercom, but they were speaking in Spanish, and evidently we didn't have any Spanish speakers on our team in that day, and so we were just kind of in the dark as to what was going on, and we wondered what was going to happen next, and as we sat there in our seats, and more and more and more people began to get off the plane, and we were the only ones sitting on the plane, the, the flight attendant finally came back to us, and in her sort of broken English, looked at us, and I remember her words vividly. She said, no more flight tonight. And suddenly, our trip to San Jose had become a trip to Tegucigalpa, and there was only one flight that went out of there to San Jose, so we were going to be in Honduras for 24 hours. And what else could we do but, say it with me, go with the flow. Just a small example. We eventually made it, and it all turned out to be okay. But if you've ever been on a mission trip, 
you know about this first commandment. And there's no doubt, again, thou shalt go with the flow. There's no doubt that Paul and his mission trip team were living by this slogan in these days, in these moments of their life here in this story that we've read about in Acts chapter 16. We've been talking again in recent weeks about the viral spread of the gospel throughout the book of Acts. Last week we read back in chapter 11 the story of of Peter crossing uh, ethnic and religious boundaries or borders in entering into the home of a Gentile uh, military leader and not only entering but sharing a meal and ultimately sharing the gospel. And, and it was an amazing story. And from that point on, and even actually a little bit before, but, but now for sure, the door had swung wide open for the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to reach to any and to all. And this was the pursuit now of these early believers. Chapter 13, we're just skipping over it a little bit. Paul, this same Paul who had been Saul, if some of you are a little bit confused by that, we can talk about it later, but Saul, the one radically saved and transformed by the vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus, has now become Paul, and in chapter 13, he and his partner Barnabas have gone out in mission and spreading the good news of Jesus, and in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways, which seems like a nice church split, but actually it turns out to be okay because Barnabas picks up a new partner and Paul picks up a new one as well, and actually the mission of the church is powerfully multiplied. So we come to chapter 16. I have a map. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to see this. I just went into my office. Yeah, you're not going to be able to see that. Um, and I even forgot my pointer. I was going to bring my, my pointer again. My laser, I love that thing, but I forgot it. And so you're just going to have to go with me here. I'll try to describe this as, as much as I can. Um, but we, 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 in chapter 16, we find, as you're trying to make, you're hurting your eyes to see that, but as, as you try to, we find in chapter 16 at the beginning, we find Paul and Silas at first going around to the established churches and visiting them, those that Paul had already reached and they had already put their faith in Christ. And he's going around visiting the churches, trying to support them and strengthen them and teach them. But somewhere along the way, Paul and Silas, and they've added Timothy to their number as well, they begin to get this missional itch, we might call it, just this missionary urge to to go out from where the gospel had already found a home and to move out into the places where it had, yet been, uh, had not yet been, been heard. So they begin to feel this, uh, this, great, this great call in, in, to mission. I just want to read the, the verses. I don't, leave the map up. I don't have these for you, but let me just read this. The verses right before um, the ones that we read, because it gives you a little bit of a feel for how their mission trip got started. And let's just say that to say that it uh, didn't get started well is about the biggest understatement that we might be able to to talk about. So um, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia. That's, you see maybe big Galatia over here uh, on the right side. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So they had wanted to go even further. Right over to the left, you can see Asia, but the Holy Spirit had stopped them. So it's like, let's go to Asia. 
Holy Spirit, nope, sorry. Okay, let's not do that then. Then, coming to the borders of Mysia, I think Mysia is up there towards the left of Galatia, in sort of the middle, you can, you can kind of see that. It, it, he says again, they headed north to the, for the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Oh, for two. I mean, they can't even get started trying to go on this mission trip, and they can't really even get, get going. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And that's kind of hard to see as well, but on the right side of that Aegean Sea right there is what that is. Uh, you can sort of see Troas. I can see it very well, but you probably can't. Um, and uh, it's, it's still over here on this side. And uh, Macedonia and Europe is on the other side. And what's interesting, if you, some of you have been watching the news over the last couple of years, this, this geographical region is, large, is one of the major immigration routes for people live, leaving the Middle East and moving into Europe. In fact, some of these small islands just off the coast are Greek islands, and immigrants try to get to those Greek islands and then are brought into Greece. So this geographical region is, is uh, pretty hot in the news even now, and it was uh, for Paul as well. But you can tell things were not going well. Just leave it up there for a, a little bit more. They, they land in Troas. One, one scholar said their, their trip had stalled out in Troas before it, even, before it even got started. I'm just picturing Paul and Silas and Timothy. They're in this little seaport town, maybe kind of like Santa Barbara, and they're down on the beach. They're looking at the ships, and they're like, well, we can't go there. We can't go there. I don't know where we're going to go. We've got to go somewhere. And it's soon thereafter when we just read today, or read in these verses, that Paul has a vision. Um, they were going with the flow, and Paul has this vision calling them to uh, Macedonia. And you can see Macedonia right up, right up in that far left-hand corner, right up into, into Europe. Um, God had great purposes for them, still. Oh, for two, and yet... There was a new day, a new opportunity, and, and, and he's calling them into this new opportunity, and it's in this team's ability to sort of go with the flow that we can once again see a pattern emerging that I hope can help give us a, a pattern again, an idea, some shape to what our own approach to faithfulness and to mission might look like in our world today. The, uh, right, right off in this team, we see this, this amazing, what I'm calling a missional impulse. Now, I didn't come up with that. You can go to that screen. Uh, I didn't come up with that phrase, but it just, it just speaks so well to what these men seemed to be feeling in that moment. A missional impulse. Uh, an impulse in this context simply means a driving or a motivating force. They were driven to mission. No closed doors, or two, or three, or redirections. Nothing could discourage them. Nothing could dissuade them from moving out in mission. 
to attaining their goal, which was to share the hope of Jesus Christ with the world. As we said earlier, the message of Easter had gripped their lives. The resurrection of Jesus Christ had so penetrated to the very core of who they were. They had been transformed themselves and they could not help. They could do nothing else but share about this new life that they had found with any and all who would listen. Driven. This impulse within them to mission. They had been called. They had been commissioned. They had been equipped. They had been sent by God himself into mission in the world. It's perhaps only when they came to the end of what were perhaps their best plans that this team found themselves ready to hear God's best plans. Maybe we could look at it that way. We thought Asia was right. We thought Bithynia was right. But actually, God had in mind something completely different. A great lesson maybe for each of us to hear. And that's when Paul sees this vision, a Macedonian man inviting them, pleading with them. And you can picture that Macedonian man however you want to. He's been you know, uh, drawn by artists in a whole lot of different ways over the centuries. But you can picture that Macedonian man however you want to on the shore, yelling across the Aegean Sea to Troas, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Help us in Macedonia. Help us in Europe, it would be the first time that the gospel would hit European soil and the team was quick to respond. I mean, you talk about being, you know, going with the flow. I mean, just imagine not knowing where you're going on a mission trip until like a day before you leave. You just pack up and you're ready to go as the Lord leads you. So I just think about this. What about us? What about, what about our veins? Is the, is the, is the missional impulse coursing through our veins as it seemed to be for these people? Have we been so gripped by the message of Easter? We've left the white cloths on for all these weeks. We've tried to stay in this moment for as long as we can. We have one more week after today to, to really bask in this season of Easter. Have we been so gripped by the message of the good news of Easter have we thought about how the missional impulse might look in our own lives? And, and we might think of it in a couple of different ways. We might think of it in first, first in terms of, of, of going. The missional impulse can obviously be expressed in our, our going. Is that on there? There is, yeah. There it is. All right, good. Um, like Paul and his, his friends, there are certain people among us who have been called and will be called even to full-time missionary work. And, and I want to be one who proclaims this loud and long and as often as I can, whether it be for a young person here today or even an older person, how, however old that might mean, that there are some among us that we as a church get to commission and send out as people working full-time in ministry and in mission. Uh, what a blessing. There, there are others that we get to send out to go on these short-term mission trips, cross-cultural, out outside of our country or into different types of places. We get to send them out into these, these mission, mission trips all around the world. We get to go. And I can remember learning these songs in the native languages of the lands which we were visiting. And I remember acting out these pantomime dra uh, uh, dramas 
that, that, that described the gospel in, in front of packed theaters and packed parks and things like that. I remember showing the Jesus film, playing soccer with kids, going door to door. I remember I was with a gentleman in Guatemala, and he spoke Spanish. He was on our team, and we walked up to a door to share the gospel, and I was all ready for him to just go right ahead, and the door opened, and he looked at me and said, Pastor? <laughs> and I said, Pastor? <laughs> and I went for it as best I could, and when we go, we just go. And there's this missional impulse that, that drives us away from our comfort zone and out into the world in, that, that is maybe different. We eat different foods. We meet amazing people. Our God is a going God. And so we are to be a going people. And, and none of us should just eliminate ourselves from that possibility. We should always have our eyes open. I know some are going to Hawaii this summer. That sounds like a wonderful mission trip. I know that others are going to Peru in the fall. I know that we're going to be going back to Ensenada in days to come. I know that there will be other mission trips uh, short term and longer term. I have some friends who are doing a two to three year voluntary mission trip in the Philippines actually right now. We, we, it, we should be attentive and listening for where it is that God might be sending us to go as we respond to this missional impulse. But while some of us may be called to, to go, the reality is that, that all of us can accomplish the same, if not even more significant, missional work by not going, but by growing. Let's say it like that. By growing right where we are by growing our, our heart for mission, by growing our, our spirit for the people around us. Perhaps it's not a Macedonian man calling us overseas. Perhaps it's our neighbor calling us across the street. And, and we have this, can have this missional impulse to grow in mission right where we are, to begin to see the opportunities all around us as missional opportunities to expand, again, our heart and our spirit, finding means of expressing the mission of God right where we live. Here's a newsflash. I don't live in your world. And many of you are saying inside right now, amen. I get enough of you on Sunday, and, and that's about it. But I don't live in your world. Pastor Aaron, Pastor Danny, we don't live in your world. You Guess who does? You live in your world. You are the one that has the opportunity. I was reminded of this this week as I just looked around our world and looked around the situations, even our city, and was in certain places and realized that I don't have an entree into that place. I don't have a voice in that place, but some of you do. Some of you have a, a voice in places where I'll never have a voice. You have an influence in certain places where I'll never have an influence. Remember, I'm, I'm actually just a pastor. And, and, you know, you'll have that chance to, to speak and to live and to, to be that, that, that influence for Jesus right in the place where you live, to grow in that place, grow in that, in that space. Perhaps really instead of getting caught up and potentially distracted, though, by whether we're to go or whether we're to grow, we ought to just take our cues from the story and simply be determined to consider two questions as we look to express this impulse the first is, are we following the promptings of the Spirit? You know, don't just go to, you know, try some Peruvian food. You know, don't, don't just go to lay on the beaches in Hawaii. I mean, we're not going, or, or just to satisfy some sort of lifelong quest to be on a mission trip. I mean, 
And don't just grow either if it's just because I'm comfortable. I'm, oh, I'm growing. Really, I'm right here. No, where is the Spirit prompting me? Where are the doors closing? But where is the Spirit leading me? What doors are opening? What, what opportunities are becoming available for me? Am I discerning and dialing into the presence of the Holy Spirit and listening? I mean, a lot of the work of the people of God is to discern is to listen, is to have, invite other people into those conversations that we're having with ourselves or with the Lord and, and ask others in our small group or in our Bible study or friends that know Jesus to help us discern what it is that he might be saying to us, that we might be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And the other question that I drew out of this text is just, are we helping somebody? Are we helping somebody when we go with a missional impulse? I'm just struck... I mean, the Macedonian man could have said a lot of things to Paul in that vision. Could have said a ton of stuff. But what he said was, come over here and help us. Come over here and help us. And obviously, Paul and his team felt like to help was to preach the gospel. And undoubtedly, that's the greatest help that we can ever bring to somebody. But could it be that our help for others expands beyond that as well? If we're growing, if we're right in the place where we live, what might it look like just to help somebody? And if we just want to boil down what is this missional impulse you're talking about, that is a phrase that is way too big for me, Pastor James. I will never remember it. Then just remember this. What does it look like to help somebody? We can all help somebody. And, and sometimes that will be very spiritual in our prayer and in our, in our teaching, our preaching. And sometimes that help will just look like a, 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 a meal that we've delivered or watching somebody's kids for a, a little while or just coming alongside them and helping them build their fence or whatever it is that they might need help with in that moment. Help can come in all shapes and sizes. And here's the deal. Each of us can give it. Each of us can respond to that missional impulse to give it. Where are we aware of the needs before us? Maybe this is one of the ways that the Spirit speaks to us. We can't meet everyone's need, but is it possible that we might meet the needs where the Spirit speaks to us? When we hear it, let's be like the guys on the mission trip and respond at once. When they went, they, they, uh, they, they, had, a new, they, had, they had an interesting way of getting there. And we see in the, this next idea, an incredible commitment to what we might call an incarnational presence, uh, a missional uh, impulse and now an incarnational presence. And, and being an incarnational presence just means to, to incarnate, to, to, to be just like Jesus incarnated the presence of God. Just like Jesus was God's presence among us. So God's people, followers of Jesus, to be incarnate in the world is to be the people of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of God in the world in which we live, to to, as the one translator of Scripture said, to, as Jesus moved into the neighborhood, so are we to move into the neighborhoods in, in, in the world in which we live. So are we to, to, uh, to take on the same life, the same challenges, the same experiences of the world in which we live, not remaining aloof, not remaining somehow superior or elite or separate, but to enter right into the world with this idea of incarnational presence. And this is just what, what Paul and his team did. 
The story reminds us that to be an incarnational presence, first of all, we have to think local. Think local with me. And think back to, to, to the description of where Paul and his team, uh, how they got to where they were going. Now, I don't know, Luke was the, the doctor. He's the one who wrote the, the book of Acts. And he was very detail-oriented, and that came out in a lot of different ways. And, you know, when you're a doctor, you should be detail-oriented. You, you hope that your doctor's paying attention to details. But he liked to give the, I mean, he gave the full travel itinerary. But I don't think it, that he was just saying they left Troas, and they went to Samothrace, and they landed in the, the port city of, thank you, Neapolitan ice cream. And then they went on to Philippi just to show that he was some geographical whiz. I think he, or to just give detail for detail's sake, I think he wanted to say that this journey was important and that this journey was intentional. And it wasn't just to some general place that he was sending, that God was sending Paul and Silas and Timothy, but he was sending them to a local context to a space, you're going to get on a boat, you're going to go to this little island that, that actually is, has 5,000 foot peaks on this island, it's very unique there in Samothrace, and then you're going to land in this port, and we're going to name this ice cream after it, it's going to be great, and then you're going to go from there to, to this city, this one of the most important cities, not just any city, but one of the most important, significant cities in the Roman Empire in that day, and and, and not only that, but once you get there, we're not going to send you to a synagogue because maybe there wasn't a synagogue. That was Paul's usual practice to go to the synagogue and, and begin to preach to the Jewish people about Jesus. But he doesn't go there because maybe there wasn't one. There weren't enough Jewish people in Philippi or maybe it was dangerous to meet like that. So we're going to send you to a, a neighborhood, to a riverbank. I mean, do you notice that? How it just goes from this right down this funnel down to this very specific local context. And, and Paul writes, and we stayed there several days. We stayed there several days. He didn't go into Philippi and immediately plant a flag and say, this is where the Christian church is going to be. Everybody come. He didn't plant a church. He just went to listen and to learn, and to discover, and to invest, and to share life. He stayed there several days. He ended up staying a whole lot longer than that even. But he went in immediately and began to listen to the rhythms of the city. He began to listen to where the, uh, the people gathered. He, he began to discover who gathered there. And, and, and then he, he went there. He didn't know what the church would look like. How could he know? He had to know what the people were like. It's incarnational presence. How do we do this today? Two things. I, I hope this is okay, but two, let me make two quick suggestions. One, turn off our TVs, and this one might sound really weird, but quit hanging out with church people as much as we do. I love church people. I am a church people. And I like hanging out with church people. I even like watching TV from every once in a while, especially if the Golden State Warriors are playing. But um, we got to turn it off. And if it's not TV for you, then put down your magazine or your book or whatever it is that, 
that, that is a good thing perhaps to give you some space, but isn't a good thing when it keeps us from connecting. And as much as you love the community of faith, we talked about it in Bible study this morning, as important it is to share in fellowship, let us be careful, my friends, to meet together as often as possible. And let us be careful to not allow that to dominate our social lives. We have to be people who are going to the riverbanks, going to the PTA meetings, going to the professional organizations, going to the clubs and the groups. Kyle and I were out for a walk this week, one of our typical patterns, and we saw a bird-watching group. And I mean, they, they were looking good. I, I'm not much of a bird-watcher, but I love watching the bird-watchers. They had their vests and their hats and their binoculars and their huge cameras, and they were just, and they were there. And, and I just, as we walked past them, I was like, that's kind of weird. But it's, you know, they would say the same thing about some of the things that I'm interested in, of course. But, but here's this group of people from who knows what sort of background, but what brings them together? Birds. Birds. Some of you love birds. Some of you love sailboats. Ken and I were talking about just the people who love to come see his boat now, now that it's in the water, and the whole new crop of visitors that he's experiencing down at the, at the harbor. Some of you like sports. Some of you like your professional organization. Probably you don't, but you go anyway. <laughs> These are the places where we go. We incarnate the presence of God. We don't just go to go. We don't just go to look at birds. We go to look at birds as a person who loves Jesus. We don't go just to preach the gospel either. We go to look at birds. We go to look at birds as people who love God. And we begin to listen to the rhythms and listen to the lives and be genuinely friendly and build relationships. And we incarnate the presence of God there. But it's not just local, it's personal. I just want to make a quick moment of this, but uh, because it's not in the text by accident, because um, not only does uh, Luke give us like GPS like directions to the riverbank, but then he is very clear to make sure we know who it is that they met on that riverbank. And, and it, it wasn't like just faces in the crowd. There were a bunch of women there at the river. Well, there were a bunch, but there was this one in particular. Her name was Lydia. And not only did they learn her name, but learn where she was from. She was actually from Thyatira. Anders, can you go back to the map really quick? Is that possible? Because I want to show you that who had called Paul to Macedonia? A man from Macedonia. And when he goes to Macedonia, who does he meet first off? A woman from Thyatira. Let me show you where Thyatira is. It's back over on this side. She had immigrated to Europe herself. So this is like, a, this is what's going on in our world today. Immigrants all over the place. A woman from Thyatira had gone to Macedonia. The irony of ironies, a man from Macedonia had called him there, but it's a woman from Thyatira that he meets there. That becomes the one in God's providence, in God's wisdom, who would be the one that, that Paul would reach to 
not only from Thyatira, but she is, uh, what I want to just, uh, she's, a, she's a merchant. Did you hear this? She deals in purple. Thyatira is a place where they, they just from this, I don't remember, I think it was a root, they, they made this purple dye, and it had become famous, and it was just the desired color for all the cloth across this region, and she was, a, she was an exporter of purple dye, and she had probably gone to, gone to Macedonia because this was a great marketplace, and she was, she, you know what she was doing? She was making money. She was selling purple dye to people who would pay high prices for it, and she was making money. She was not only a woman, that's like strike one that Paul would go talk to her, and, and not only uh, uh, she was a God-fearer, she worshipped God, but not probably Jewish, probably a Gentile, didn't really know God, but worshipped him. Kind of strike two, kind of on the outskirts of religiosity, but she was a businesswoman. Strike three, Paul. And yet that's exactly who he goes to. Now, I just want to, just really quick, I'm kind of doing tangents here, but um, I just think this is really cool. I, I think that, that Paul doesn't mention her occupation just, or, or Luke, I guess, doesn't mention her occupation just, again, sort of for the, the fun of it and just to kind of, you know, spice things up. I think he wants to, to, to let his readers both then and forever know that the gospel wasn't just for the poor and for those in need. It was that. It wasn't just for government officials like the Ethiopian eunuch who Philip had shared the gospel with several chapters ago. It wasn't just for military leaders like Cornelius that Peter had shared the gospel with, but it was for, it was for the business folks. It was for the people of, of industry. It was for the innovators, for the entrepreneurs, for the money makers of the world. The gospel was for them as well. And too often throughout the history of Christianity, we've just said, if you're good at money, making money, then you go do that. But we over here in the church, you know, and there's some important scriptures about the love of money is the root of all evil. And you cannot worship both money and God. And these are very important for us and, and, and it's harder for a, a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven than to pass through the eye of a needle, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. I mean, these are all great warnings. But even in, this, in the face of that, here is Paul speaking to a wealthy business person. I want to say this to the business people in the room. God bless you. I'm not a businessman. And, uh, I, but I know by... Uh, watching the business world, that it can be cutthroat, it can be dog-eat-dog, it can be long hours, it can be all sorts of challenging things, and it's a world that needs Jesus just as much as any other world. Some of you are in that world and have been in that world, and Christian business people, I know several here in our own church and beyond, are some some of the people that I just admire the most, really, to be able to take that their Christian faith, and to lay it on top of their, their life and business and, and to, to be able to do that, that very well. Um, my prayer for each of you, if you're a business person here today, is that you would find joy, not a job, but you would find joy in entering into relationships with those whom you do business with into engaging with other folks in the world of business, clients and coworkers and other leaders, and that you would share in 
in life with them, that you would be the best business person you know how to be. Uh, you can stretch this as far as you want. If you're a small business owner, if you're a banker, if you're a, an, a, a CPA, whatever it might be, that you would live out your faith in business, that you wouldn't cut corners, that you wouldn't cheat clients, that you wouldn't talk bad about competition, that you would charge a fair price, that you would, that you would see how God not only blesses your business, but blesses your influence and your ministry among other business people. Some of you who are not business people right now are saying, James, you're talking way too much about business people. It only comes up in the Bible every few, you know, every once in a while. So we got to hit it when it's there. And, and I want to say to young people, I've used this platform, this pulpit before to encourage young people to engage in science. I've encouraged young people to engage in, in um, uh, missions. I've encouraged young people to engage in a whole lot of different areas uh, of life, entertainment, vocations, where, where people in church traditionally perhaps veer away from, except for missions. Um, and, and I want to add business to that. If you're a young person here today, or if you're even an older person again, how might God be gifting you and equipping you to be a, a, an amazing business person? His reach to to, uh, to Lydia, like, makes this great. <laughs> it makes it beautiful. And we need Christians in the world of business to do it well. We need Christian young people to become economists and bankers and innovators, salespeople. Faith had come to the business community of Philippi. What might happen if faith came to the business community of Santa Barbara? How might we pray about that? Actually, I believe it is coming and has already come in many segments of the business world in Santa Barbara. As Christian businessmen across our town and women live for God in that place. Let's, um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's pray, whatever. It's, it's local, it's personal, it's giving of ourselves in, in, in mission. Personal uh, incarnation, incarnational presence. Well, the last one is this. We don't really have time for it, so I'll just say it really quick. It's this idea of generous hospitality. Um, because uh, Paul and his team uh, reach out. That's their expression of missional impulse. They, they go, and they become this incarnational presence. And, and Lydia and the others, and her whole household, I hope you notice this, it's the Lord opened her eyes and opened her heart as Paul spoke. Did something amazing in her heart and in her life. Changed her from the inside out, even in that moment. And, and in so doing, she couldn't help but respond, first of all, with this offer of gracious hospitality, generous hospitality. Come and stay at my house. Come and stay at my house. And some of us, we just need to live with this, with this idea of responding. She, she's like, she couldn't help herself. She'd been changed, and it's like... What can I do? And, and just let's live on this, like, the edge of our seats, as, as Lydia did in these moments. Let's live, like, how can I respond? My, my faith is not something just to tuck in my pocket and hold on to. It's something that should prompt me to action, prompt me into, 
into offering who I am and what I have to the service, in service to the king. But that's sort of the second idea. Not only is it response, but it's resource. She had what they needed. They needed a place to stay. They were in Philippi not just for a couple of days, but they were going to be there for a little while. And she knew that and gave them a, 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 a home base from which they could do ministry in the world. And so when we think about our homes, and thank you, growth group leaders and youth group hosts and so many in our, in our community of faith who have just opened your homes, opened your hearts to different groups and different folks to come and, you know, stain your carpets and eat all your food. What, what, that's mostly the youth group that I'm talking about there, but that happens in adult groups as well. Um, thank you for that hospitality. And, and you have, let's extend it beyond our homes, you have what the kingdom needs. Somebody said, I was reading this week, said, you know, for, for Lydia and for us, your baptism is your commission. Don't wait around. We don't have to wait around to, to, to think about what we have that can be used for the kingdom. What it is that we have, whether internally, ex, that, that's inside of here, externally, what we possess. How are we, how are we offering that as a resource as agents of the king. A missional impulse, an incarnational presence, a generous hospitality. I may have bit off more than we can all chew, but I hope you hold on to something here this morning. We're going to celebrate communion this week and then next Sunday, the last Sunday of the Easter season. So let's do so today as a wonderful family of God, celebrating all it is that God has done around the world, warming ourselves to the, the impact of Christ's death and his resurrection, asking even as we eat and as we drink that, that his body and his blood might just, just reinforce us and encourage us and equip us and send us out to be his people in the world. Can we do that? Good. Let's all stand together, can we? And Invite our servers and our worship team to come here, and I'll serve you first. Again, we, we celebrate an open table in our church. It means if you're a follower of Jesus or if you're seeking to follow Christ today, you're welcome to come to, to take the bread and to dip it in the cup. Jesus, we're just so thankful that you, on that night you met with your disciples, you took the bread, you blessed it. You broke it and you passed it to them. And you said, take this and eat it. And each time you do, remember me. Same way you took the cup, passed it, blessed it, told them that this was the, the cup of, of salvation, the, 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 the symbol of your blood that was shed for them and for the whole world, that they were to drink of it. And as they did, they were to remember you and all that you'd done. We, we remember today, Lord Jesus. We don't remember as if it was just some event that took place a couple thousand years ago, and that was then, and this is now. We remember it, and we bring it into the present. We bring it right to our hearts. We bring it fresh to our minds. And we invite the reality of your death and of your resurrection to, again, so, so impact us, oh God that we might live into the world missionally 
we might live incarnationally. We might live generously as your people making an impact on those that you love, on those that you're inviting and calling even now to yourself. We receive these good gifts from you, our good and great God. And for that, we give you.